Welcome to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. I'm Michael Kingswood and I write science fiction and fantasy. I used to be in the Navy, spent 20 years doing submarine operations, among other cool things. Learned to fly planes, learned to scuba dive, had a bunch of kids, saw the world, and I started writing fiction. In this podcast, I'm going to be sharing my stories with you in the hope that you'll have fun, and also that you'll like my stuff and come back for more and maybe help brother out with buying a book or two. So uh, sit back, relax, I'm going to tell you a story. Hey friends, it's Michael Kingswood and it's story time. And hey, it's almost Thanksgiving too, here in the States, just in a couple days. Got my turkey all bought, got all of my fixings to make my super awesome gravy that I'm just the best at ever. And yeah, it's going to be a good, good time. Grandparents flew in to hang out and see the kids, and so it's fixing to be a fun week. There's a few frustrating things going on, uh, dealing with house contractors, you know how that can go, and it's kind of gone poorly. More into that once it's finally resolved, if you care, maybe you don't. Um, But aside from that, pretty standard week around here, so we'll just go straight into the story. The Champion, fantasy novella that I wrote, and that unfortunately for you, I am reading unfortunately, because I am not a professional voice actor. But hey, that's okay. Do my best, and hopefully you like it anyway. Uh, When last we left our hero, Tim, also known as Ace, he had just discovered that the Champion of Dark is, in fact, his new client, who's uh, rich and speaks six languages and is a martial arts expert and is dating a supermodel, and then did I mention he's rich and powerful and connected, and what the heck is... What am I supposed to do now? So he went back to Bartleby to ask that very question. What the heck am I supposed to do here, man? And we'll see what uh, happens next. Enjoy. Here we go. The Champion. Fantasy novella written by me. Read by me. And I already apologized for that. One eyebrow twitched upward on the old man's brow and he gestured toward my rocking chair. Why don't you tell me about it, he replied, his voice kind and patient. With a sigh, I sat down and grabbed up my mug. In between sips of hot chocolate, I related my encounter with Capano in the conference room and what I had learned about him from my research. As I reached the end of my tale, Bartleby blew out a long breath, billowing the whiskers of his mustache slightly. Well, he said, I can't say I've heard of the two champions meeting so quickly before. He rubbed out his nose with his index finger for a moment, then mused, It's almost as though he was looking for you specifically. I thought that same thing, I replied, but that's not possible, is it? Bartleby cleared his throat. throat) Normally, no, but your generation, as I stated before, is different. My presence masks the potentials from the dark's notice. In your case, he sighed and he hung his head. In your case, I thought there would not be need for your generation, so I left you alone. Apparently, in my absence, the dark guide learned of your and the other potentials' identities. As they declined the task one by one, it was probably just process of illumination to reach you. Well, that's great. So he's probably ready for me, whatever I do. That is possible. I growled and took a longer drink from my mug. Now, as to the object in question, Bartleby said, as though his last revelation was no big deal at all, you must understand that our conflicts are not normally large. You said that before, Bartleby nodded. It may be that this object has a special significance for a few people, or maybe just one. 
its presence, or lack, may be all that prevents or causes those people from going over to the dark. How? I cannot say without knowing more about the object, and really, it is immaterial. The important part is the impact on the people around it. He looked at me with narrowed, shrewd eyes and pointed his index finger at me. Remember, Sir Knight, even a single person's actions can have ripple effects that resonate long after he is gone and can alter the world greatly for good or ill. Great, I said, so what am I supposed to do? When you see the object in question, Bartleby interrupted, you will know what to do. That's not terribly helpful. It's the best I can do. Good luck, Timothy. I would have retorted harshly, but the sitting room faded away in favor of a scene so bizarre it had to be another dream. I recall resisting for a heartbeat, but then the dream took me and I slept, oblivious to the fact that I was dreaming, until my alarm clock woke me at my usual time the next morning. The morning routine was normal. I got to the office at 8.30 and sat down at my drafting table. Linda and Jonas had left their initial drawings from the day before on my desk when they left, but I was too distracted yesterday to do a good job reviewing them. I spent 20 minutes looking the drawings over, then pushed them away. I thought of several ways to improve on the drawings off the top of my head, but it was a good start overall. At 9.30, after my morning meeting with them, I found Jim in front of Lawrence's office. The two men were exchanging quiet words, stopping quickly when the three of us arrived. Jim glanced at us, met me, then looked back at Lawrence and nodded. The two exchanged a meaningful look, and Lawrence went back into his office. Ready to go, Jim asked as he turned back to face us his normally cheerful grin on his face. I nodded, and Jim led us down the corridor to the elevator. The firm kept the van down to the garage for these sorts of excursions. The four of us piled in after loading our notebooks and other equipment into the back. Then Jim got behind the wheel and drove us away. It was a 45-minute drive to Capano's house. Nestled in the hills west of town, it looked over the countryside from an unobstructed vantage point. The view was amazing. Why the hell is he moving? Linda breathed as we got out of the car. He bought some beachfront property, I replied in annoyance. She should have known that. It was in the client information packet we had all received when we were tapped for this account. But this was not the time or the place to poke her for not doing her homework. Capano's house, his estate, really, had a huge set of arched double doors carved simply from dark reddish wood with narrow panes of glass inlaid so those within could see the collars. They swung open as we approached, and a tall man, dark of skin and hair, stepped out to greet us. He was well-dressed in a simple but elegant black suit and carried himself with erect poise that exuded confidence and professionalism. Good morning, he said with a shallow inclination of his head to us. I am Jasper, Mr. Capano's personal assistant. You are from the architecture firm, yes? Jim responded in the affirmative and introduced us. Jasper acknowledged each of us with cool politeness, but I could tell he really was not all that interested. We were tasked on the checklist for the day, nothing more. Mr. Capato regrets that he cannot be here to liaise with you himself, but pressing business prompted him to leave the country last night. You know how it is. He sniffed softly and flicked his eyes over us in a way that said, You don't know how it is, you peons, and you know that I know it. Then after a heartbeat's pause, he said, If you will follow me, and walked back into the building. Abrupt, isn't he? Jonas observed, earning himself a sharp look from Jim. We followed him inside, and Jasper proceeded to show us around Capano's house. It was, of course, huge and sprawling, but I was not prepared for its elegant simplicity and the highly tasteful way he decorated. I'm not sure why. Perhaps I thought the Dark Champion would go for torture devices and pitchforks, or maybe decor along the lines of Montana's house and Scarface, a gaudy and poor taste. Silly thing to think, but that's how it was. 
The dwelling revealed a man that I could probably come to like. His book collection was extensive and eclectic, as was the art on his walls. His furniture was plain, unadorned, but of the highest quality. He was a sports fan. One room was set aside as a home theater, which was lined with pictures of various famous sports figures and team emblems, his favorites, I assumed. I spied a few of my personal sports heroes up there as well. The overall impression was that of a man who appreciated the best things in life, but did not care about flamboyance. Again, this was not what I expected. It took a good hour and a half to complete the walkthrough. There were a number of items Capano would want just so in his new residence. Pieces of art that needed to have custom-created displays, an annoying feature of the kitchen that he wanted removed, things along those lines. None would be particularly taxing, but taken together, they required a lot of work to get it right, which is why our firm's fees were so high. From a professional standpoint, it was a productive trip, but by the end of the walkthrough, I began to get frustrated. The house said a lot about Capano, but there was nothing that gave me even a hint of what his dark plans might be. Then I saw it. A small picture frame in his sitting room, mounted near a panoramic window. Within the frame was a yellowing page, not much larger than a sheet of letter-sized paper. It seemed to glow with an inner radiance that drew me, an almost magnetic pull to walk over and look at it. What is this? I asked. Jasper had already turned to leave the room, but he stopped and turned back to me, annoyance on his face. I supposed I had disturbed his carefully designed schedule for the walkthrough or something. His lips pursed and he shrugged slightly. Mr. Capano has a fondness for antiques. Really? I had not noticed that from the rest of the decor. I kept that thought to myself. Looks like the map of a coastline somewhere. Jasper nodded. The oldest known map of the Carolina coast, Mr. Capano bought it a few years ago. Now, if there are no other questions here, you really must see... His words faded from my hearing as I focused in on the map. It was old, yellowing, faded, fraying at the edges, and torn. One place in particular was distinctively marked as though it was important for some reason, but the writing there was so faded I could not make it out. If only... Ace, come on! Jim tugged on my arm, breaking me from my contemplation. I jumped, startled, and gave him a sheepish smile. Sorry. He looked askance at me and opened his mouth to speak again, but I stepped past him and out of the room, hurrying to catch up with Jasper and the other two in the hallway. It was an effort. I still felt the magnetic attraction to that map. I knew for certain it was the document Capano had purchased from the man in Georgia. That meant it was important somehow, and I needed to find out why. Back at the office, I set my team to work, then went to my desk to ponder. Capano's demands for his house were exacting, but then he was going to spend. I did not want to think about how many millions of dollars for a brand new house at the beach. So why should he not get exactly what he wanted? I blinked and leaned forward in my office chair, my eyes widening a bit as it hit me. A brand new beach house. With a strangled cry, I turned to my bureau, pulled out Capano's client information packet and leafed through it. It was here. It had to be here. And there it was, the address of Capano's new house, complete with overhead shots that Jim or Lawrence had probably attained from Google Earth. But they were zoomed in too tight. I swallowed and turned to my computer, then entered the address into Google Maps and waited for the page to update. It was zoomed in close, so I clicked out a few times. I leaned back in my chair and stared at the screen for a moment. A chill went down my spine and I realized I was getting goosebumps, but not from the cold. The map showed the same coastline as the map on Capano's wall, and his property was in the exact same spot that had been marked as important on that map. That couldn't be a coincidence. What was I going to do? No sooner had I asked myself that question than the answer came to me. It was obvious. The only problem was getting Jim to agree to it. 
It was easier than I thought it would be. My flight departed at 7 a.m. I almost missed my connection in Charlotte because of weather in the Midwest, but it worked out and I landed in Hilton Head, South Carolina at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. The humidity was the first thing to hit me as I walked out of the airport. It had been years since I last came down below the Mason-Dixon line, and I immediately began to sweat. A little voice in the back of my head asked why the hell I had come down to this furnace of a place, and why had I worn slacks and long sleeves instead of a t-shirt and shorts. But I did not waste time standing around. Instead, I strode over to my rental car and cranked up the air conditioning. I checked into a small timeshare condo a few blocks back from the beach. I was not planning to stay long, just long enough to survey Capano's new lot, take some pictures, and get a feel for the local utility arrangements, so we would have a better starting point for the design. At least, that was what I told Jim. He ate it up and wasted no time having the firm fork over money for the trip. I did not eat on the plane, so it took a few minutes to wolf down a quick lunch, then I hit the road. Capano's lot was not, strictly speaking, an ocean view. Situated at the southern tip of the island, it actually looked out into the Calabogue Sound between Hilton Head and Defusky Island. But there was a beach, his house would be right on it, and if he turned his head to the left, he could see the actual ocean, so I supposed it was close enough. I pulled to a stop a few houses down from his lot and got out of the car, camera in hand. The street was wooded with expensive-looking houses, some more palaces than houses, and several probably condoized from the look of them everywhere I looked. Looking back and forth along the street, though, I frowned. There was something not right about it. As I walked the few hundred feet from my car to Capano's lot, I mulled over where that feeling came from. Then it hit me. Capano preferred simple elegance. That was obvious from his manner of dress and his house in the hills. This place was too cluttered, almost. The houses, big as they were, were too close together. The trees growing everywhere made the outdoors feel enclosed. The whole block did not suit Capano at all. And then I saw his new property. It was long and narrow, backing up to the beach. An older house stood about a third of the way back on the lot. It was not as large as its neighbors, though it was by no means small. Brown wood siding, a screened-in porch in front, and a detached two-car garage. It was definitely not to his taste. Which is why he was tearing it down to build a new house, a voice in the back of my head said. Maybe, but I was certain he bought this place because of that nap not because of the lot itself. I walked up the driveway, noticing recent survey markings along the lot's boundaries, and snapped off a few pictures. Jim would crucify me if I did not come back with something usable for the design. And, truth be told, it was important to know the lay of the land if I wanted the new design to be the best it could be. But I was not really there for the architecture. I walked past the house into the backyard, then blinked in surprise. A front end loader with a backhoe attachment and a little bulldozer were parked there. It was a little early to start raising the lot, wasn't it? Well, then I saw the hole. It was about 15 feet across, 20 feet long, and 5 to 10 feet deep. Capano had clearly used the construction equipment to dig it out. But why? I walked to the edge of the hole and peered down. My breath caught. There in the center of the hole was a carved statue of a woman. She sat on a rock, nursing a baby she held in her arms. Around the baby's and mother's head were halos. I had seen that image many times before, but I had never seen a rendition that actually glowed. This one did. The Madonna and Child. The masculine voice surprised me, making me jump and turn around in a rush. I guess I should not have been surprised to see Capano emerging from the back of his house, but I was. He wore loose-fitting khakis and a blue polo shirt, but he walked with a quiet dignity that made his outfit seem formal. I knew you would come, he said. 
stepping from the back porch to the yard. It was inevitable. It was necessary if we want to make the new house fit with its surroundings, I replied, my tongue thick in my mouth. I managed not to stammer, despite the anxiety slowly growing into outright fear that I felt. Capano snorted. Let's not play each other for fools, Mr. Williams. We both know why you are here. I took a step back, maintaining distance between us as he moved to the edge of the hole. I guess that makes one of us, I said, gesturing toward the statue. Capano's eyes flicked down to it, and he smirked. Probably one of the oldest European artifacts in this area, he said. Made by the French Huguenots who settled Port Royal in 1562. Or maybe the Spanish explorers in 1526. Though I doubt they would have taken the time to carve statues on their journey. I imagine it's worth a bit of money. Is that why you bought this place? Again, Capano snorted. It is, but it's not that much. I spent far more on this lot than I would ever hope to make selling that thing. He said thing in a strange tone, almost as though he found the statue distasteful. Maybe he was one of those guys who does not approve of breastfeeding, but I doubted it. It went deeper than that. Guess you really wanted a beach house then. Can't say I blame you. It's nice around here. It is, but my house in Cancun is better. I frowned, but I did not reply. I took a moment to look back down at the statue. The soft glow it gave off was clearly visible, even in the direct sunlight. Also, it seemed to tug on me, in almost the same way the map on Capano's wall had. This statue was important. Why do you want the statue? Capano cocked his head to the side, like a bird, and looked at me in silence for a moment. Then he shrugged. I really do not. Then why? Are you a man of faith, Mr. Williams? I shrugged. Never really thought about it. Capano's eyebrow twitched upwards. Surprise? His voice was level as always when he spoke. Faith is a strange thing. The people who carved that, he gestured to the statue again, had faith in what it stood for. Okay, I said slowly. Where was he going with this? Capano smirked and shook his head slightly. You do not understand. No matter. He sighed deeply and looked at me with flat eyes. I warned you not to cross me, Ace. His right hand slipped behind his back and emerged holding a semi-automatic handgun. He pointed it at me. I'm sorry it had to come to this. Despite the summer heat, I suddenly felt cold. I backed up another step and raised my hands. You're going to shoot me? Here in broad daylight? Capano shrugged. Why not? That house is vacant, he pointed with his free hand toward the house to his left. Foreclosure proceedings, or so I hear. That one, he pointed to the right, is a vacation rental, but no one's in there until next week. The old lady across the street is hard of hearing. His smirk widened into a wicked grin. Couldn't resist following my little trail of breadcrumbs, could you? He raised his voice a bit. Boys! From the shadows behind the garage came two burly men. One was black, the other Asian, but there was essentially no difference between them. They had no necks, their biceps were almost as big around as my thighs, and they wore murderous scowls beneath dead eyes. Both wore dark slacks and collared white shirts that were open at the neck, and handguns and shoulder holsters. One of them carried a canvas sack, the other a length of rope. Okay, so now the gloves have come off. Capano's got his goons coming, and Tim's in a bit of a pickle. And, well, that, ex that, that sure did escalate quickly. Um, gee, I wonder how he's going to get out of this one, or if he will. I guess we'll have to read the rest of the story, but we'll do it next week, because that's how we do this around here, right? Um, hopefully, you guys can stand to wait till that. If you can't stand to wait, well, hey, you can buy the story at my website, or at any ebook or print store you can find it at, and it's listed everywhere. 
so go do that. Or you can just, uh, you know, like and subscribe to all your friends, spread the word about the podcast and the videos and about my books and uh, how much you like what I'm doing here. And uh, that will be helpful too. If you really want to be cool, you can uh, pop by the website and do a little donation action through PayPal or crypto. But you don't have to do that if you don't want to, I guess. And then we'll just come back next week and we'll continue on as we have been. Hope you guys liked it. If you do, drop me a line. Let me know what's going on. And uh, happy to hear from you. Otherwise, talk to you next week. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do. Thanks for listening to Storytime with Michael Kingswood. You can find me online at michaelkingswood.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. My web store is ssnstorytelling.com where you can find all my books in your favorite formats. Purchasing through the web store nets me the most profit, but if you prefer, I'm also on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and all the other usual e-tailers. If you want to learn about new releases, sign up for my mail list through the contact form at my website. I guarantee not to spam you, only send an email when I have some news to share. Storytime with Michael Kingswood is copyright of Michael Kingswood. Intro and outro music, copyright Gene Paul Zogby, licensed through stockmusic.net. All rights reserved. <laughs>